So we've titled the series, Who's Your One? I've kind of turned it on its head today, and I've titled the message, He's the One. He's the One. After all, after all, the one, the person that God's put on our heart that we're praying for, that we're wanting to witness to, that we're wanting them to know the peace of God that we know, we, we're wanting them to have the forgiveness of God that we've experienced. And so the one that we're praying for, we want to introduce them to the one who is Jesus Christ. So he's the motivation behind us caring about other people, Okay. And so I wanted us to see that. So let's stand together and let's go to Matthew chapter 27. It's kind of a longer passage, but on Easter I typically do this. I let the Word of God speak for itself as we read the story of the resurrection. Matthew 27, beginning in verse 57. Now we're picking up at the burial of Jesus. Right after his death, he needed to be buried properly. And so the story tells itself, and I'll read it to you here, and you can follow along. In Matthew 27, beginning in verse 57, and we're going to go into chapter 28. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. I want you to notice that. He had become a disciple of of Jesus. Notice they didn't call these early believers Christians. Christians was a derogatory term. They were mostly known as disciples. And so he became a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. Now let me just say this to you guys. Listen. Only very wealthy people could afford to have a tomb cut for them in a rock. And this is who Joseph of Arimathea was. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. It was a seal of the Roman government. And if anyone broke that seal, it was punishable by death. They didn't know they were playing right into the hands of history here. Beautiful thing here. Now, chapter 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. 
His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and become like dead men. I love this story. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Now, I want you to notice something. The stone, the giant boulder, was not rolled away to let Jesus out. It was rolled away to let us look in and see that he was no longer there. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Let's pray. Lord, may you just take this profound, yet simple to understand, historic and true story, and help it to impact our lives today. Thank you that Jesus is truly alive. He is the risen Savior. He is the conquering Savior. He is the Savior who lives within the hearts of men and women, boys and girls, who receive Him personally. And we are so grateful. Do your work in our midst today. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. He's the one. What an amazing story here. So I want to jump right into it. Four things I, I see here in this story that I, that I want to pull out here. And, and my points are a little wordy today, more so than usual. So bear with me in that. Number one, real disciples care for and give to Jesus what's important to them. A true disciple is willing to give to Jesus what might be important to them. For an example, uh, uh, a father when his child is born, may give up his child back to God and say, God, thank you for giving me this child. This child belongs to you. Help me raise him in the training and admonition of the Lord. So you give back to God. You give to God what means the most to you. And here's the story of Joseph of Arimathea. He had become a disciple. And we don't know how much he did publicly, but we know this. And we know he was connected to Nicodemus, the man where Jesus gave the most famous verse in all of Scripture, uh, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So Nicodemus and Joseph were buddies. And so here you had Joseph, and he cared so much for Jesus. And remember, remember that, that you know, tombs were, were something that only wealthy people could afford and have as a matter of fact it still happens today in the third world do you know in ecuador when uh we go on our trip to ecuador and we're leaving um guayaquil the second largest city in the nation to go to cuenca the third largest city uh, we are at sea level and we're, we're leaving there to go to thirteen thousand feet in about an hour 
and then we level off at 8,000 feet where we hang out and we spend time in the mountains there. Well, as we're leaving Guayaquil, there is one cemetery in particular that is of note. Because, see, people don't have money there to be able to bury their dead. And so what they do is they rent a tomb in that cemetery. And you can see it. It's on the hill. It's kind of eerie. It kind of looks like what Golgotha, the hill of the skull, where Jesus was crucified, looked like. Uh, the, uh, the, the, some of the tombs are, are open and you know, nobody's in it. Nobody's renting that space right now. And they rent it for a period of time before then they move the body to do whatever they need to do with it, whether they need to raise money or, or get money or what have you to properly bury they're dead. And so, so it's, it, it happens in third world countries where people don't have that kind of money to be able to bury people. And so it was the case for Jesus. And so Joseph, being a disciple, being a wealthy man, wanted to do right by his master, by the body of Jesus. And he didn't know fully exactly how all this would play out, but he just knew that he wanted to care for the remains and for the body of Jesus Christ. And so he was a real disciple. And real disciples care for Jesus, and they give to Him what's important to them. Your most prized possession. Can I just say this, and I used the illustration just a moment ago, parents, uh, that, that, you know, sometimes, you know, we, we look at our children and we think we own them, but we don't. Listen, they're given to us for a short time. It's our job to develop them and to help them grow. And, and, and one day they're going to they're gonna walk out and they're going to leave the house. They're going to leave home and go live their own lives. They're not really ours. They're His. And what we have to do is we got to give our children up to Him and say, they belong to you, God. And, and the most important thing that you have should be what you give to Him. And it could be a physical thing even, like Joseph had, this physical tomb. But that's how much Jesus cared for him. He bought this for His own burial for He was going to be placed when He died. But He gave it to Jesus. He gave it to him. Real disciples care for Jesus and give to Jesus what's important to them. There's nothing that you have that you shouldn't be willing to give to the cause of Christ for him. Because you can't take any of it with you. So why don't you let it be used for God's glory, right? Why don't you let it be used for something that God can do something with. So real disciples care for and give to Jesus what's important to them. Number two, some consider Jesus, like I told you, these are kind of wordy, some consider Jesus to be a deceiver, all the while being deceived themselves as to who is the real one. All the while being deceived themselves. So you had Joseph here, now you had a second request. So Joseph, when he made a request to Pilate, I want Jesus' body. I want to give him a proper burial. This is what I want to do with it. And Pilate released the body to Joseph of Arimathea. And then the religious leaders of the Jews who hated Jesus, who actually had him crucified and had him put to death, they came and they said, hey, look, his followers are going to come and steal his body. So what we want you to do is we want you to put a guard. We want, we want a guard there. And not only that, but... The Roman seal was placed 
on that, on that tomb. Some say it was where the, the, uh, the rock or the, the stone, you know, we, we call it a stone, man. This thing was a boulder, where the boulder was put up against the entrance of the cave that had become a tomb, and they sealed it with some kind of what we would call putty today or some, something, and then, and then they, they actually put the seal on it of the Roman government, and anybody who broke that seal would be guilty and be punished with death. That's how serious the religious leaders took it. What they didn't realize was that they were playing right into the hands of Christ right there, right into the hands of God in that situation. Because that tomb was sealed, no one can say that his disciples went in and stole his body. See, the religious leaders didn't believe he was God, so they didn't believe he would rise from the dead. So, the, so no one could say that his body was gone when it really is in there. Look, his body's still in there. And so there were some here who considered Jesus to be a deceiver, all the while being the, deceived themselves to who is the real one. Listen, in life it's the same way, and I don't know, and I'm not trying to point the finger at anybody, but... You might think you know better than God. I know I was there at one time in my life. I thought I had all the answers. I thought I knew better than God. As a matter of fact, I had some close friends that, that, that tried to tell me about Christ. I even asked them about it because I wanted to know a little bit more, but I really didn't want to know the truth. And when they told me the truth and they spoke it in love, I kicked them out of my mom and dad's house, and that whole deal took, took off, and, and I was deceived. I was self-deceived. Sometimes people can be deceived into thinking that they're good. I'm good, man. I'm good just the way I am. Look, we talked about it today in Bible study in Sunday school. People might say this. Listen, preacher, I can worship anywhere. You bet you can. I can. I can worship anywhere. I can worship driving my truck. I can pray driving my truck with my eyes open. Before hands-free stuff, people used to see me and used to say, hey, man, I saw you talking to somebody in your truck, but nobody was in there. I said, oh, he was in there, Jesus, he was there. You just couldn't see him. Now we got the hands-free stuff, and if somebody says, they don't ever say anything anymore because they see you talking, and they think you're talking to somebody on the phone, but I'm just talking to God. You can pray anywhere. You can worship anywhere. I can be in my boat, and I can worship God. Absolutely. But listen, it's important to understand that just like An infant, just like humans need a family, Christians, disciples need a family. And the Bible says that Jesus died for the church. The church is important to him. You say, well, preacher, I tell you, I don't know about about the church because there are a lot of hypocrites in it. Of course there's hypocrites. You're here. We're all hypocrites. Have you ever realized that? We're all hypocrites. At some point in our life, I'm not saying you're a hypocrite now, but maybe you were at some point. You claim something that you really weren't? Have you ever lied? Have you ever lied? Anybody here never lied? If you raise your hand, I'm going to tell you you just did. If you ever lied, that's hypocrisy. Because you're claiming something that isn't true. We're all hypocrites in one way or another. And I understand that modern-day church life has its problems, it has its issues, because there are people in it. I had somebody tell me years ago when I first started pastoring, he said, Pastor, look, 
I, I can no longer be part of your church because it's not as loving as I want it to be. Now, here's the irony of that. That person who came to me to tell me that was one of the meanest people I'd ever met in my life. <laughs> they were part of the reason why our church was struggling with love. And that person said to me, I, 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 I don't know if I want to go, go to church anymore. I, I'm looking for a church that has this and this and that and perfect this and perfect that. And, and I said, well, there's a problem with that. And she said, what? And I said, if you find it, you can't join it. And she said, why? I said, because it won't be perfect the day you join it. And I said, you know what the cure to an unloving church is? She goes, what? I said, you can't fix anybody else. What you can do is you can be more loving. You be more loving. I can be more loving. I can fix me. I can do that. I can do what I want to do. And you know what? She didn't leave the church. I was like, doggone it, man. Because she was so mean, I was kind of hoping maybe she would. But no, I'm just kidding. But anyway, no, I'm not really kidding. True. No. Just realize the deceiver is trying to deceive you and me to think that we know better. All the while, we're the ones being deceived as to who the real one is and what he wants. And that's what I see with these people in verses 62 through 66. Number three. Number three. When you come face to face with Christ's death-defeating power. Coach, it's personal. It doesn't got personal now. It's personal. It's spiritual. It's supernatural and life-changing. When you come face to face with Christ's death-defeating power, it becomes personal, it becomes spiritual to you, it's supernatural and life-changing. Say, so what do you mean by that? Well, if you look at chapter 28, verses 1 through 6 that we read already, you look at these ladies and notice, I'll just say this right here. Where were the men? Where are the men? The men were de too depressed. And no matter what the circumstance and the situation was, a men didn't want to deal with it. That's how men are sometimes. And we, a lot of us, you know, we, we, just hard things are hard to deal with. Sometimes we just want to back off. But the women knew the next day they were going to go prepare his body properly for burial. And they didn't know a seal was put on it or anything like that. And they were going to do their duty even though their hearts were broken. They didn't quite understand what all was going on. But they did it anyway. And they went there, and man, were they in for the shock of their lives. They see this angel there, and they see the guard like a dead man. And they know it's of God, because anytime God shows up, He sends an emissary on His part, an angel. The angel will always tell you, you don't have to be afraid. I'm not here to scare you. He ain't here, sisters. <laughs> he rose from the dead. Do what? Now you go and tell. You go to his disciples. You go let them know. Just as he said. You see, you forgot what his word says. We talked about this morning in the sunrise service. You forgot what his word said. That he said he was going to rise from the dead. Oh, you of little faith. How you so soon forget. 
what God's done for you. And all of a sudden, man, they took off and they met Jesus on the road. It changed their lives. You see, the reason I put it like this is because this is what happens to everyone, every person, even today, who comes to a place in their heart and life when they get tired of being the king of their own life. Sort of like this. I saw a picture one time, a stick man, but instead of his torso being a stick, it was a, he had a little stick here, a little stick here, and then a big old hole right here. Okay? And inside of the hole, there was a throne, a big chair. And before Christ comes into a person's life, in that chair, the person, the stick man, is standing on the chair, and Christ is below, the cross is below. But when a person gives his heart to Christ and is radically changed, what happens is Christ sits on the throne of his heart, and he is bowed to the throne. That's what it means to become a Christian. And when you, be, you come face to face with that, and Christ changes your heart from the inside out, He changes you from the inside out and makes you a new person. Man, that is death-defeating power that you've experienced. It's personal. It's supernatural. It changes your heart. People that you used to hate, you love, and you can't help yourself anymore because Christ is living in you, and you're a new person. That's called the supernatural power of God. Things that you used to do, selfish things that you used to be a part of that was only about you, me, myself, and I, you can no longer participate in anymore because now you have Christ living in you and it's, it's, it's death-defeating and you were once dead on the inside. Now you're alive in Christ. Now the Word of God means something to you. Now spiritual songs mean something to you. Now biblical principles mean something to you and you want to live for Christ. It changes you from the inside out. It is personal with Jesus and these ladies were changed and it was personal for them and they were never the same because they met the real one it becomes supernatural life changing I heard one preacher say one time he said if you can encounter Jesus and be unchanged you didn't encounter the Jesus of the Bible. Because when you encounter Him, it changes everything. It does. And listen, when this life is over, y'all, when it's over, it's not about me and my little kingdom and my own life and my own world. It's not about how wealthy I am. It's not about the influence that I have. It's not about how successful my children are. It's not about what class of, what, what financial class that I'm in. It doesn't happen to me a lot because I, I can see it coming by a mile, but I, but I don't let it bother me anymore. But there are some people who think that they're actually better human beings because they're in a different tax bracket than you and me. Wow. 
Is that going to matter when you leave this life and go into the next? No, what matters is knowing the real one and being personally changed right here. Personally changed. I've said this recently quite a bit. I identify with guys like, like Peter in the New Testament, and not that I'm spiritual like him, but he was a fisherman. That's what my dad was. That's what I wanted to be. We were shrimpers, South Louisiana. That's all what we wanted to be. I just wanted to be that. I just wanted people to leave me alone. Uh, I, 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 I did everything that I could in, in school to avoid ever speaking in public. We had electives in the ninth grade, and there was only like two of them. One was a speech class, and the other was some class that I don't even remember. That's how insignificant it was. And I took the one that I don't even remember because it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I made A's with my eyes closed because it was that, that silly of a class in the ninth grade. But I didn't have to give no speech. I just wanted to be a fisherman. As a matter of fact, it was so serious for us that when shrimping season started in, in, in Louisiana, you have what they call the brown shrimp season or the Brazil shrimp season, the same thing. It opens the first week, second week of May, usually on a Monday. And it goes till about the end of June, 1st of July, and it's closed for a couple of months or a month or so, and then it reopens in August. They call it the August season, but it goes all the way to the 1st of December, and it's the white shrimp season. And in that part of Louisiana, in those marsh estuaries, the shrimp spawn, and there's a season, and the inland shrimpers can catch all the shrimp, can catch all the shrimp that's there, and that's what we were. And then, but a lot of shrimp escape, and they end up going into the Gulf and, and so there's a season there and a season here. We were more the inland shrimpers. That's what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to drink beer, have a boat, get married, and y'all leave me the heck alone. That's what I want to do with my life. But something changed on February 12, 1984. When I called out to God, I said, you know, I'm I went to that church and I heard that preacher preaching. And I, don't, I, it kind of, I don't like what he said because it upset me. But people have showed me in the Bible, God, that what he said is true. And I see what those people have. I, I don't have it. They got something God has called peace and joy. They're not perfect, but they've got something I don't have. They talk about heaven as a place they want to go to. I talk about heaven as a place I would love to go to, but I'm scared to death that I'm not going to go there. What can I do? And I said, I can only do what the pastor said based on your word. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So God, I'm calling on you now. I want to be saved. I don't know what it all means, but I want to be saved. I want you to change my life. And I went to sleep. And the next morning I woke up and there was something different in me. I went to high school and all of a sudden the things we did, the places we went, the people we said things to, the words we used all began to cut in my heart. And half my vocabulary immediately was starting to stab me in the heart. Because something changed in me. 
It took about a week. Went to see a precious dear lady who worked with youth there. Her name is Miss Carla Trosclair. She lives in Arkansas today. She loves the Lord. And uh, she walked me through the scriptures. And I said, I did that. I did that on Monday night. She goes, well, Corey, if the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Do you want that gift? I said, yes. Are you willing to repent of your sins? I, I don't know what that means. And she explained it to me. I said, I did that. I asked him to forgive me. She goes, well, then he did. And I said, even so, I said, what's going on with this thing inside of me? I can't say the words that I used to say. I can't say all those four-letter words anymore. And she goes, it's because God's coming to your heart and you received him. And now you're changed. And I said, so you're telling me I'm saved? She said, according to the word of God and your testimony, that's what happened to you. You're saved. I'm saved. I'm different. I'm changed. And man, it changed for me that day. It was all over in a good way. And then not long after that, I sensed the call in my life to become a pastor, and I was like Moses. I can't speak to people. You're crazy. <laughs> but he did something in me spiritually, or spiritual, and then supernatural. And it changed my life. And everybody that encounters Jesus, their life has changed in some way. One last thing I want to give you. When you personally encounter the supernatural power of Christ's resurrection, you will tell others of the one. You can't help it. These women went. Jesus told them, then Jesus said to them in verse 10, He said, Do not be afraid, but go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. In verse 8, it says they, they were filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. The angel said in verse 7, then go quickly and tell his disciples. Listen, you're talking, I'm talking to you and you're, you're listening to the man. Didn't want to talk to anybody about any of these things. But after February, February 12, 1984, I, I, I didn't know exactly how to share it or what to say, but I said, so this is what happened to me. And I had somebody look at me and say, you're crazy. Okay. So let's see. I no longer sneak out of the house when my parents are asleep. I don't go get drunk and then get behind the wheel of a car and drive home drunk, potentially killing me or killing somebody else. God is changing my language. There are other behaviors that all of, all of a sudden have changed within my heart, not because God made me, but because my want to has changed. So you're, me, you're telling me I'm crazy? I don't think so. Well, I still love you. Then I tried to tell my parents. And they threw me out. They said, we can't take that. Get out of here. Okay. 
I went and get my brother. I told my brother. My brother got saved. My brother's a pastor in Hawaii now. Told my sisters. Eventually they came to the Lord. Told my best friend, my grandfather. (laughs) My grandfather, if there was a man that was lost, it was him. He was as lost as they come. If there was a man that was selfish, it was him. Well, he thought he was a good man, but good to him and him, himself and his family. That was it. Heck, my grandfather he even cheated in, in hunting um, uh, uh, tournaments. You say hunting tournaments, like fishing tournaments. We used to have duck hunting tournaments in South Louisiana. I was telling Coach about that earlier today. Somebody else killed a duck, and my grandpa went fetch it, and the guy didn't see it. My grandpa gave the other duck that was smaller to the guy who killed it, and then he gave me the one that, I, that, that the other guy killed, and then I entered that duck, and I won a, a, a plaque third place for a, a beautiful um, uh, wood duck, and I got the plaque in my office. <laughs> the story's better if I tell you the whole story. It's funny, but I mean, my grandpa was a trip, man. I don't believe in the God. Don't believe that. He was an old Cajun. No, don't believe that. He was a Catholic. I knew the Catholic Church was in trouble when I went one day and I saw him passing the collection. This is no lie. The Catholic Church I used to go to, they didn't pass a plate. They passed a plate attached to a stick. And they, you know, you'd have the ushers and they would have enough length to reach about here and the other one on that side reach about there you know and poor guy in the middle was like i gotta give twice you know and then but my grandpa he would go in the back to count the money and uh, he said oh he'd say he'd say this about the pope he said oh the pop man you say ever saw the pop mobile and the, the thing he drives man he got plenty of money i'm gonna take me some money i'm gonna go, go buy me a few a few a few things to drink this week my grandpa used to steal from the church You know what's ironic about that? My grandfather got saved because he saw the change in our life and we witnessed to him among other people and the whole story behind that. But my grandmother, and he was no longer, he he remained a Catholic after he got saved because he promised his mama that's what he would be. And I said, it doesn't matter. As long as you know Christ, personal relationship. You be Catholic, you be Lutheran, you be Baptist, you whatever. As long as you know Christ, that's the most important thing. Now you need to grow. You need to follow in believers' baptism. Never could get him to do that because he he couldn't understand. He thought it meant becoming a Baptist. And I said, no, 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 that's not what it means. But we took a long time to get him to salvation. He came to salvation. My grandmother said, I want, when he passed away, she said, I want him to be pastor of the Catholic Church. And I said, whatever you want, Grandma, it's yours. But she goes, I want you to preach. I said, they are not going to let a Baptist preacher preach in a Catholic church. She goes, oh, yeah, they will. And they did. And I told that story of him stealing from that very church. You should have seen people, but it was like Fred Sanford. <laughs> but I told them how he had been changed by the power and the glory of God and how he People that if they ever did him wrong, that was it. They were on that list for the rest of their lives. And he never forgot an offense against him. No different than any other lost person. 
But after he got saved, he wanted to know, what can I do? There was one guy in particular he couldn't stand because that guy put his son on the all-star team as opposed to my brother on baseball all-star team. The stats were there. My brother was a far better player than the other guy. But because that guy was going to coach it, he, he put his, oh, my grandfather hated that man. Hated him. My grandfather would give him the one-finger salute every time he saw him to his face. I'm just being honest with you. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. That's the kind of man that he was. But after he got saved, the man's name was Bob. He said, Corey, how do I go to Bob and tell him I'm sorry? I said, here's how you do it, Paul. You go find him. You know where he hangs out. Because you used to go by just to give him the finger on purpose. So go see him and just say, hey, Bob, I became a Christian, a real Christian. I forgive you. Would you forgive me? Oh, man, that's all I got to do? Yeah? Oh, man, that's simple. I'm going to go do that. And he did. But he went beyond that. He said, I invited Bob. I took him to go eat a steak. Now, you know, if I'm going to pay for another man to eat, food and I'm paying for it I gotta like that man a lot (laughs) that was my Cajun grandpa he got transformed by the power of Christ and it changed him from the inside out he lived one year after he became a Christian and then he died and he's in heaven today I saw the change in him so when you personally encounter the supernatural power of Christ's resurrection, you will want to tell others. I've seen it in my family. I've seen it in so many other people's lives. There are people all around this building, not perfect people, but forgiven people, saved people, who have come from the depths of hell, who are addicted to all kinds of things. And now they walk in Jesus and their lives are changed and they're clean in Him. I've seen people who have ruined their lives with personal relationships, divorces, after divorce, after divorce, didn't speak to their kids, their kids didn't speak to them. I've seen people find salvation and forgiveness in Jesus Christ, and I've seen their entire family transformed. I've seen people who are in this building today who have gone through some of the most dreadful, horrible, horrific, hurtful circumstances that people can go through. Losing a loved one with no notice. Losing a child in a plane crash, in a car wreck. Losing a spouse after he left choir practice on his motorcycle with all his equipment, helmet and everything, and he hit a deer, an eight-point deer, just right down the road here, crushed his chest and killed him. I've seen those people go through horrific things. But because they know the one, they never turned against God, they never got bitter, oh, they hurt. Oh, oh, they, they went through dark times in their, in, their, in their spirit and in their heart. And only God knows how deep the pain can go. But those people have found the beauty of healing 
through the supernatural power of Jesus Christ. That's what the resurrection is about. That's what he's all about. He's real. He lives. He lives to make intercession for us. He lives to change our lives. He lives to hurt with us, to walk with us, to be there with us. He's real. You say, well, preacher, can you prove that he rose from the dead? Well, I'm not an apologist, meaning, you know, one that can argue from, uh, you know, from an intellectual standpoint about this and that and timelines and all of that. That's just not my gift. But I've got this answer for you. No, I can't prove to you that you know, through, through scientific means that he rose from the dead. Uh, there are some books out there that are really good. Evidence that demands a verdict by Josh McDowell. Uh, Lee Strobel, The Case for Christ. You know, Lee was an atheist. He got saved. Very educated man. Many, many books out there. But all I can do is do what the hymnist says. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. You he walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow ways. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. And he can live within yours too if you don't know him. Would you stand with me as we pray? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to have the opportunity to worship on this Easter Sunday, a day that is set aside to recognize the greatest event in the history of the universe, in the history of the world, in human history, the resurrection of your Son who defeated death, hell, and the grave. And now that resurrection power is available to us within us. We'll live again. No, this body, it's not going to make it. Because we know that we're going to get a new body. But we are more than just flesh and bone. You live within our spirits, within our hearts. And I pray for the person that needs to receive you today as Lord and Savior. In just a moment, we're going to have what we call our public invitation where we invite you to respond to Christ. No pressure on you. It's just between you and God and the Holy Spirit and if you want to make a public decision, we'll, we'll give you that time. If you want to come to this altar, you say, why do I need to come down there? You don't have to come down there, but I'll tell you why it's special. It's where the Word of God meets our obedience, where the Word of God meets our heart. There's something about where the Word of God is proclaimed, and we come and we just settle it right here, right now, once and for all. However God is speaking to you, we're going to invite you to trust Him. If you need somebody to pray with you, we'll do that.
If there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ, here's what I'd like you to consider doing. And you want to receive Christ. Just right here between you and God. Don't worry about anybody else. You say it to Him. He hears you. Say it in your heart. Say something like this, but mean it from your heart. Say it your own way if you don't like the way I'm saying it. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. I put my faith and trust in the finished work of your Son on the cross. I believe that He lived, that He died, and He rose again from the dead. I receive you as my Savior and Lord. I put my trust in you. I repent and turn from my my way of living, my sin, and turn to you, and I cast all my care upon you. Save me today, dear God, and change my heart. I'll serve you. The Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you meant that in your heart and you just called upon Him for for real, for for true, for, for keeps, for the real deal in your life today, you just became a Christian and... You're a baby in Christ right now. And it's imperative that you declare that publicly. And I'll be right here if you want to make that decision public. You can do that today. Heavenly Father, help us to love you and to live for you with everything that we have. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. As our worship team leads us, let's consecrate these next few moments to Him.